me just pray, and then we'll dive into the word this morning. God, we thank you for today, and just, um, I, I heard a little bit of the worship, and um, so God, just a sweet time to worship you. God, I pray that you would move, that you'd work. As we open up your word, would you speak to us and challenge us and grow us? In Jesus' name. So uh, we are in week four of a series we're calling Maxed Out, in which we have been talking about that also often in this life we live maxed out lives, that we're up to our eyeballs in life. We have absolutely no margin, we have no space, we run from activity to activity, we forget to rest, we're overwhelmed sometimes in our finances, and I know so often that is how I feel, that so often in my life I utterly feel like I'm at my end. As a matter of opening our topic this morning, though, I want to start with a small confession. Um, I really like information. I really do. Uh, in my family, we like to know stuff. Uh, if any of you helped us move a few months back, you know that we have a ton of books uh, that we own. And now that I mentioned we have a ton of books, if we ever move in the future, you're never going to help us move again because it's a lot. Um, but my wife and I both love to read. We love information. We like to know what's going on. We like to, to soak up the latest trends and to know how to love Jesus more, and we read lots of books about that. However, um, uh, and I'll add an addition to that, um, we also like in the evening at night sometimes, uh, we'll be sitting around, we'll see something on TV that looks interesting, and so then of course we're like, oh, I want to know more about that, so then we'll be Googling something or looking it up on Wikipedia. Uh, we like to know the latest information. Uh, and not only on a family level, also personally, I like information. Um, I, uh, there's a couple websites that I'll visit each and every single day. Uh, most mornings, I'll spend some time with the Lord, and then I'll be reading uh, news sites. I'll typically check out ESPN to follow up on my favorite teams. I'll check out Facebook to see what people are up to. I'll check out gopherhole.com, uh, which is the fan website of my absolute favorite college football team, the Golden Gophers of the University of Minnesota, and I'll just check it out to see what's happening with the coaches or the team, and, and I would say I typically do this almost daily. Almost daily, I take in this kind of information, and, and not only am I checking out up on the news, but I also like to check out television a lot. I've been known to binge watch episodes of The West Wing on Netflix. I think I've seen the entire series maybe 10 times. Um, which is really bad. Um, and, and you know, Netflix has this really, really bad thing where it goes from one episode to the other. Anybody found that, right? Uh, with like a five-second gap. And I just have to say that that feature on Netflix is just plain evil. It's just plain evil because you know that you'll just sit there for hours on end, right? Oh, like, I'll just watch one more show. I'll just watch one more show. And before you know it, you sit there for like eight hours. Maybe not that bad, but you know what I'm saying. And, and so it's even more interesting, not that um, all you're interested all that interested in my media consumption, but I'm talking, so you get to listen to me anyway. Um, I often store stuff in my head that is of no use to anyone at all. I like history a ton, and, and so a lot of times I'll just be reading about history. Um, I'll, I love World War II stuff, and so I know all these weird facts about World War II. And, uh, and, and on top of that, I like to know how things work. And so a lot of times I'll, I'll read something. I'm like, oh, I wonder how that works. So I, like, I know how a submarine works. I, I know how a nuclear power plant works. It doesn't really affect my life at all, other than the fact that sometimes I'm really good at trivial pursuit. But, but really, I really like information. And if I'm honest with myself, I am sure that when it comes to the amount of information that I consume, the sheer volume of information, and all the facts that I store in my head, the amount of media that I watch on a weekly basis, if I'm honest with myself, I'm maxed out when it comes to information. That truthfully, I'm probably on an information overload. 
And you know what? I bet that most of us in this room are on some level of information overload as well. We're maxed out in the amount of information that we consume. And I bet that you and I, we probably don't even know it because it's such a normal part of our routine. Today, gaining information, being on the internet, learning as much as we can is such a normal part of life. So just by a show of hands, I know there's not many of you, but by a show of hands, how many in this room have a smartphone? All of us have a smartphone. Okay, also by a show of hands, how many of you have ever taken your smartphone to the bathroom with you? And I'm not saying like in your purse or in your pocket, you've taken it to the bathroom and looked at it while you're in the bathroom. Yeah, okay. You're being honest. It's really great. Um, some of you are still lying, though, because three studies say three out of four of you have taken your phone to the bathroom. I just have to ask, say the question, what is wrong with us? That what is so wrong with us that we find it necessary to take our phones to the bathroom? Like, really, checking email or Facebook can't wait just a few minutes? And I would say that not only are we overloaded when it comes to information, we're maxed out with information, but I would bet to say that we're probably addicted to it. And the stats would for sure back this up. Uh, I found these stats this week uh, talking about information overload uh, and the, the amount of stuff we consume. 73% of adults now use some form of social networking uh, site of some kind. That's a crazy stat to me because if you think about it, there's a lot of people that are in retirement that probably don't use computer, but yet 73% of adults use some sort of social networking. Uh, the average American on social media platforms receives about 54,000 words and 443 minutes of video every single day. That's a crazy stat. Like if you're on social networking, you're, seeing, uh, you're having access to about 443 minutes of video a day. More than 1 billion tweets are sent every hour or about 100,000 tweets per minute. According to Twitter's calculations, a day's tweets are enough to write a 10 million page book or 8,163 copies of Tolstoy's classic novel, War and Peace, which runs about 1,300 pages. 20 million emails were sent in the time it took to say this sentence. Let me say that again. 20 million emails were sent in the time it took to say this sentence, so now 40 million emails have been sent. 16 minutes of every single hour of our days is spent on social networking. That's crazy, a quarter of our time is spent on social networking sites. And listen, the amount of information we take in, the amount of time we, that we spend in front of a screen is killing us. And information overload causes symptoms and solutions, which is an article that appeared in the Harvard Graduate School of Education's Learning and Innovations Laboratory. Professor Joseph Ruff says that we are bombarded with so much data that we're on information overload. Simply put, information overload is when our ability to process information has passed its limit. And further attempts to process information or to make accurate decisions from the surplus of information leads to information overload. He says, once capacity is surpassed, additional information becomes noise and results in a decrease in information processing and decision quality. He says, he says, having too much information is the same as not having enough. Here's what he's saying. We are so information overloaded, so, so maxed out with information, that what ends up happening is it, it becomes just white noise to us. It's like the sound machine at night, right, that helps put you to sleep. And because of that, we're unable to make decisions. We're unable to process the right information. And so because of this, we end up making poor decisions. And there's even a name for this. He calls it information fatigue syndrome. IFS, Information Fatigue Syndrome. Now, you might be thinking, well, okay, 
That's not me. I don't have information fatigue, but does this ever sound like you? Do you ever suffer from poor concentration due to the overloading of, excuse me, overloading of short-term memory where you can't concentrate anymore because you're so overloaded? Um, do you feel like you're always multitasking where you're juggling all these balls all the time where, where you can't focus on one thing but you got to do everything all at the same time? Do you think you suffer from hurry sickness? which is the belief that one must constantly rush to keep pace with time. Do you feel like you're always angry? If there is rage and frustration, it might be the result of information fatigue. Not always, but it could be. Do you feel overstimulized, where, which causes the brain to shut down and enter a trance-like state? So let me ask, do you zone out all the time? Are, are you in meetings and you're not focusing on what you're supposed to be focusing on? Are you in church and you're like thinking about 100 million other things? Uh, are you at home and just staring into the abyss and you wake up and you go, what did I just do for the last 10 minutes? That might be the case that your information overloaded. Are you having a plugged-in compulsion that you have this strong need to check email, voicemail, and the internet in order to stay in touch? Do you feel like something is missing if you don't have your phone? Are you capable of just sitting there without looking at your phone? In, in the downtown service this morning when I asked that question, uh, a young woman blurted out, she's like, is the phone sitting next to me? <laughs> like there was a moment of like, well, if it's sitting next to me, of course I'm going to check it. You know, like if it's away from me, it's not so bad. But are you able just to sit there with your phone next to you and not look at it? Do you have traditional stress in your life where it, it suffers from immune response, right? Where you're sick all the time or uh, endocrine imbalance or depression or do you just experience just a general sense of burnout? Listen, we have information overload and it destroys us. And listen, this idea that information overload is killing us is not just something that is present today. This is not something that can be just proven from science, but listen, it's also a very biblical idea. Way back in the Old Testament, thousands upon thousands of years ago, before the internet, before Twitter or Facebook, before television, before even the invention of the printing press, there was this guy named Solomon, who uh, the Bible says was the wisest guy who ever walked on the face of the earth. He was the king of Israel, and he wrote a book called Ecclesiastes. And the theme of Ecclesiastes can best be summed up like this. Everything in this world, everything in this world, wealth, power, wisdom, women, work, and not, not women, I mean, I mean the pursuit of women, like sex, that kind of thing. And I'm saying women are worthless. Um, all of it, man, I, I did that this morning too in the first service. All of it, okay, back up. <laughs> the book of Ecclesiastes, basically everything in this world is just meaningless. It's just meaningless. In fact, in our language, Solomon would say that everything in this world is just plain crap. And yes, I said crap in church. You can email me tomorrow if you want. But listen, everything in this world is just meaningless. And Solomon says the exact same thing about information. In chapter 1, verse 16 through 18, he says this. I said to myself, look, I've increased in wisdom more than anyone who's ever ruled over Jerusalem before me. I've experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. And so what he's saying is this. He knows more than anyone who's ever ruled in Jerusalem. He has experienced information over information. He has soaked up all this details, all these data. And then he goes on and he says in verse 17, Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. So on top of learning everything, on top of understanding all of that kind of stuff, 
or on top of learning everything, he also wanted to understand all that he learned. So it's like this. So Solomon knows that the sky is blue. But on top of knowing the sky is blue, he also knows why the sky is blue. He's soaked up all this information. He knows all this detail and also knows the why of the detail. And then in the second half of verse 17 and verse 18, he says this, but I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. See, what Solomon has learned was that the gaining of information, the, the soaking up of all this data, it's led to sorrow. It's led to more grief. Even at the book, end of the book of Ecclesiastes, he writes in chapter 12, verse 12, Be warned, my son. He's writing this letter to his son. And he says, of, it, of anything in addition to them, and then he goes on, he says, of making many books there is no end. What he means by that is, there will always be more information. There will always be more data. There will always be something else to read. There will be more and more books. And then he says this, and much study wearies the body. So let me ask a question. When you think about what you take in on a daily basis, how much time you spend in front of a screen or reading a book or whatever, does it ever make you feel weary, tired, worn out? Does it lead to joy or does it lead to sorrow and grief? See, so much information leads to burnout. It leads to stress. It leads to unproductive living. And you know what? I also love it when the current science catches up with what God has said thousands of years ago. Scientists nowadays are saying, hey, this information overload, this is bad for you. You shouldn't do this. And, and, this is, and they just kind of discovered this, right? But this is something that King Solomon knew thousands and thousands of years ago. I love it when science catches up with what God's word has said thousands of years ago. And so here's the deal. We've identified what the issue is. We know that we're information overloaded, that we're maxed out in the amount of information we pull in, but what's the solution? What is the solution to the information overload? How do we pull back from being maxed out with information and learn to find some margin in the amount of data that we consume on a daily basis? Well, truthfully, I could give you a three-point sermon about how to take some practical steps to, to step back from um, all, the, the, all the information in your life, a three-part sermon on how to create margin when you think about the amount of information you consume. You know, even as I was thinking about this message, I was thinking, you know what? Maybe, maybe I'll talk about the importance of, of fasting from media, fasting from data. Maybe we could talk about the importance of turning our phones off maybe a day this week, maybe taking a day to be uh, offline, maybe abstaining from media all week to take a to fast, and you know what? That, that's actually not a bad idea. But listen, I don't think this is the solution that you and I need when it comes to being maxed out. See, so often in this world, when we see something that is bad for us, the solution so often for us is that we just need to stop it. Just, just avoid that thing, just stop it, put it away, uh, do something different, that we just should stop doing the bad thing that's killing us. But listen, stopping the bad behavior is actually not the solution. And stick with me for here for a moment. See, what you end up doing when you just stop trying to do something bad is that you end up white-knuckling it. You know what I mean by white-knuckling it? It's the idea like when you're holding on for dear life onto the steering wheel and you're holding on for so, so long that your, your knuckles turn white. That's white-knuckling it. And what you end up doing is you try to stop things then on your own, in your own strength. It, it's like the alcoholic who quits drinking but never deals with the issues that cause him to drink in the first place. 
And you know what they call that kind of person? They call that person a dry drunk. That is, they're not drinking anymore, but they're working so incredibly hard in their strength to not drink that they're miserable and they're mean. And here's the thing. The Apostle Paul says the same thing in the book of Colossians, chapter 2, verse 20 through 23, and I want to spend the rest of our time this morning in this book. I, I, I've been um, ruminating it on it all week, just thinking about it, and, and, and I think this passage actually speaks a ton to how we find margin from information. Uh, and so I'm going to read Colossians, chapter 2, verses 20 through 23. It says that since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. What Paul is saying by, by the, when he says that the rules do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, uh, what he's saying that these are based on human commands what he's saying is these man-made rules, they appear to be wise, they appear to be smart, but what does it say? Paul says in the passage at the end of it, right, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. They lack any value in really changing us. Just avoiding the bad things doesn't really change us. It doesn't really uh, change um, who we are. You and I don't create margin in our lives simply by creating margin. You don't create margin by just choosing to have more margin. You don't walk back from information overload by stopping with information overload. And the reason is that you and I have hearts that are incredibly evil. We have hearts that crave that which is not good for us. You and I will always want what's bad for us. That's because at our core, in our sinful nature, we are evil people. At our core, we want to fill our lives with more information. At our core, we want to fill our lives with more and more stuff. In our, in our sinful lives, we want to crave busyness. We crave financial stress because our evil hearts tell us that that is what we need. And so here's the thing. If you want to create margin from all the information, it's not that you simply stop with all the information. You see, what you need to do instead is that you need to fill your life with something better. The solution is that you find something that's so much more life-giving, so much more filling, that you will eventually train your heart and your mind not to crave the information any longer. You, you train your life in such a way that you crave something so much better that that so much better becomes the air you breathe rather than your phone or the internet or the television show or whatever. And you see, Paul continues in the passage in chapter 3 by saying this, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then also you will appear with him in glory. You see, Paul's solution... Paul's solution is not to stop doing the things that hurt us. The solution is that you learn to crave and to replace the, bad, replace the bad things with something better. That's why he says, set your hearts on things above. What he's saying is that the manner in which we create margin, the way in which we turn our eyes away from the things of this earth, uh, sorry, 
The way we create margin is that we turn our eyes away from the things of this earth and instead you begin to set your eyes completely on God. See, you learn to rest in him. You begin to start thinking more and more about Jesus all of the time. And and listen, just so we're clear on this, this is how change happens, not just in our ability to find margin from information. This is not how change happens uh, in just stepping back from a maxed out life. You see, this is how transformation happens in all aspects of our lives. If you and I want to be transformed into the image of Christ, you have to look time and time again on the face of Christ. You marvel at him. Change for you and I does not happen by us willing it. It doesn't happen by you and I working really hard at it. Every time you and I try really hard to change, we will fail. We don't have the power. We don't have the ability to change ourselves. See, change happens when you set your heart, when you set your mind on Christ, when you realize who you are in him. Change happens when we think about and reflect on just how much you are loved in Christ. Change happens when you reflect on what Jesus has done for you. Change happens only when you are so swept away by what he has done and how much better your life is now that you are in Christ. And and what Paul does in the passage is is he forces us to look uh, on who we are in Christ and what God has done. If you look at the passage in verse 3, Paul says, Now your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Well, what, what does that mean to be hidden with Christ in God? Well, here's what Paul's saying. He's saying God is in heaven, and Jesus is right there with him at his right-hand side. That's what it means that Christ is with God. So, in God. But then it says you are hidden in Christ. What does it mean for us to be hidden in Christ? It means that we are now also secure in our access to God. Since Jesus is with God and we're hidden with Christ, we also have access to our Heavenly Father. It means, basically, it's like a cosmic game of hide-and-seek. And Christ is hiding you in His robes, covering you with the cloak of His love and His grace. That, that being hidden with Christ means that we are in His protection. That means that nothing, absolutely nothing can harm you. And what Paul is saying is, listen, when you focus on this reality, that this is who you are, that you are hidden with Christ, this is how change happens in our lives. As we reflect and think about who we are in Christ, that that is what change happens. I'm reminded of a hymn. It says, in Christ, it's the hymn, In Christ Alone. You guys know this one, right? And the lyrics are are this. I'm not going to sing it. You don't want me to sing it. But it says, amen. (laughs) It says, in Christ alone, My hope is found. Here in the power of Christ I stand. Well, the last verse of that song says this. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ I stand. No power of hell, no scheme of man, meaning nothing, absolutely nothing can pluck you from the hand of Christ. Satan cannot pluck you from the hand of Christ. Man cannot pluck you from the hand of Christ. You are his. You are paid for with a price. You are in him. That is who you are. And when you think about this, that you are hidden with Christ, and because you're hidden with Christ, you have access to your heavenly Father. And when you focus on this, you realize just how amazing life is that you have Jesus on your side. You realize how amazing life is because Jesus loves you so much that that's who you are. 
And when you realize that that's how amazing your life is, right? How awesome life is in Christ, then you know what? All of the information, all of the gathering of wisdom and information, all the Facebook checks and emails and tweets and Netflix and romantic novels and you name it, and all of it becomes utterly meaningless to us. It becomes like filthy rags compared with the knowledge of knowing Jesus and knowing that you're hidden in Christ, right? And you have access to God. Knowing that means that everything else in this world becomes like filthy rags, becomes utterly meaningless. See, as we set our minds on Christ, all of this information overload begins to fade away. All of the mess and the sin of this world begins to go away. All of a sudden, we don't need it anymore. I don't need to check Facebook a million times today. I don't need to Google everything. I don't need to binge watch Netflix because Jesus means so much more to me. You see, as you and I reflect on him, as we gaze into his face, what ends up happening is our wills slowly start to align with his. We start to look and feel a little bit more like Jesus. It's why Paul continues his teaching in verses 5 through 10. And in 5 to 10, he says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. He says, Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. He's saying here, you know what? You used to be consumed by these things. This used to be your life. And just so we're clear, when I said the solution to information overload is not just stopping the consumption of all the information, that's not to say that God doesn't care about the negative stuff we consume. That's why Paul says we should put all of this to death. It's also why he continues in verse 8, and he says, But now you also must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. What Paul is saying is this. Because of our new life in Christ, because of what Jesus has done by dying and rising across, we now have access to his power and his victory as we look upon the face of Christ and we have the power then to walk away from these things, to put them to death, to no longer walk in all of these areas. But then he goes on in the passage. And the rest of Colossians 3, he goes on to describe later what the life, what a life in Christ should look like. And he describes really what, what I think is a life of margin. It's a life of peace. It's a life of space. And it looks like this. In verse 12, he says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, Humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear, that, that means to put up with one another. Put up with one another and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. 
I don't know about you, but when I think about a life of margin, when I think about a life with space, this is what I think about. I think of a life that's filled with compassion. I think of a life filled with kindness. I think of a life filled with humility. I think of a person who is gentle and patient. Because, because this person has space. Because there's rest for their soul. Because they're not maxed out with everything they have going on. There's a life like this. When I think of margin, I think of a person who's able to put up with others. I think of someone who can freely forgive others. I think of someone who freely loves others. I think of someone who brings unity to situations and not division. What I find pictured here is what I'll call a well-watered soul. It's a soul that's spent so much time reflecting and thinking about Jesus. So much time setting their hearts on things above a soul that's been filled with the love of Christ and it's full of life. A well-watered soul. Last week, Russ, the lead pastor from downtown, and I we were driving to a retreat center in the middle of nowhere um, as we were um, going to do some message planning for the next year. And as we were driving, we were driving uh, amongst the cornfields. And we both noticed that the corn uh, was all pointing straight up into the air. The leaves were pointing straight up in the air. And if you don't know this about corn, when the leaves are pointing straight up in the air, it means it's parched. It means that it's dry. It needs some water. It's searching for some rain. And the look of the corn really reminded me of cactus. It looked like it was sharp and pointed. It, it kind of looked like if you would reach out and touch the, the, the leaves, that it would prick you, that it would leave a mark, that it would be sharp. Maxed out people, people who are stressed out beyond belief, people that are maxed out in information overload, are prickly people. They bring hurt and harm to others. But a well-watered soul, a person who is finding rest in Christ, a person with margin, a person who walks and reflects on Christ, is one that doesn't hurt others. It's one that brings life to those that are around them. Let me drive this point home just a bit more. So you've listened and read some of the things that Paul lists here. The things that he describes as what a well-watered soul looks like, compassion, peace, and when you describe some of the other things that we need to put to death. I, I just want us to do a diagnosis here for a minute. Because I think maybe some of you are still thinking, well, am I really on information overload? Is it really a problem? Is it really a big deal? Maybe you're thinking, maybe I'm just fine. That you're not addicted to media, to information. When you think for a moment about the kind of information that you consume the most, maybe it's Twitter, or news, TV, Netflix, novels, the radio, whatever. Let me ask you a question. Does it feed your soul? Does it point you to Jesus or does it pull you away from Christ? If you still don't know the answer to that, let me pick on one of those favorite media pieces for a moment. Uh, Facebook. Full disclosure, I have a Facebook account. I like Facebook. We use Facebook as a church. It can be an excellent tool for ministry. Uh, we use it often that way. But let me ask, in all truth, on Facebook, would you describe the majority of your relationships on there, your interactions on there, with words like this, that your interactions are filled with compassion, 
kindness, gentleness? Are your words, for the most part, filled with the peace of Christ? Do they stir up in your soul that kind of peace and rest? Or, with what you see on Facebook, and I'm not talking about posting, by the way, I'm just talking about what you consume. Because you're all good people, I'm sure you don't post anything negative. What I'm talking about is what you read, what you see. Does it fill you that way, positively, or does it fill you with things like lust and anger? Does it fill you with rage and malice and slander? Do you ever see on Facebook, for example, people who post about their best life now kind of stuff, right? Knowing full well that that's really not what life is like, and so in essence they're lying about what life really is like. Truth be told, if we're honest, most of the time, and I'm not bashing those kind of things by any means. I'm not saying don't do those kind of things. What I'm saying is, do they bring life to your soul? Or do they bring destruction? Do they make you parched and maxed out? Maybe, just maybe, if you're feeling dry, if you're feeling like you're not well watered, maybe, just maybe, you need to spend more time with Jesus. Reflecting on who he is and how much he loves you. And let me just close with and sharing something personal here. So last Sunday, I got up early and uh, was getting ready for church. I spent just a little bit of time with the Lord. I had a little time before I needed to get in the shower. And so I was just on my phone and uh, looking through Facebook. And I, I saw a post. And it was a post, um, I'm not going to say who it was from, but it was a post that actually got my blood boiling. I don't get mad very often, but I was mad. Stephanie will tell you, I was mad. And um, I'm not going to say what the post was about, but, but in the post there was something basically where they were distorting the word of God. And it, it grieved me, made me angry. I felt like they were twisting what God's word had to say. And, and so it, I have to tell you, though, it wrecked my entire morning. I was mad when I left home. I was mad when I got to church last Sunday to do setup. I was just angry. I was hot. As I think about it, it was information that I didn't need to have before worship on a Sunday morning. It's not what my soul needed. It's not that I just didn't need it on Sunday morning. I didn't need it ever. And I have to say, it distracted me from the Lord. I, I was more focused on that issue that day than on my eyes set on Christ. My heart was not upon Christ. and So I got to church and, and then I had a healthy kick in the butt from God. Sunday morning I was back there actually. I was prepping my, you know, getting ready to preach. and I just had a moment where God's like, hey, dude, buddy, you're going to come and spend some time with me here? And, and so if you noticed, if you were here last week, I was a little late coming up for huddle. It's because I was back there and I was praying. And I remember just the Lord saying to me, hey, listen, I love you. You are hidden in Christ with me. This stuff does not matter. He, he kind of said to me, you know, I know you're upset because, you know, my word got distorted, but listen, I'm, I'm a big enough guy. I can handle this. I, I don't need you to defend me, right? Like, this is not your battle to fight. I got this. And and he also just said, this information out there, it's not going to affect your life. This doesn't matter. I matter. I just want you to be with me. And, and so there was a moment there last Sunday where it was just kind of like, wait, what am I doing? 
Am I letting this data, this information, this information overload consume my life? Or am I just going to drop it all and just focus and spend time with Jesus? To set my heart on things above. And, and listen, there, there was something better in that than all this other stuff. Now, truth be told, so I had this great, you know, awesome butt-kicking by God last week Sunday, and this week, you know, did I still look at Facebook and watch stuff online, and yeah, I totally did, you know, like, still fall into that trap a little bit, but, but I know that there's something better for us. There's something better than being maxed out, stressed out, overloaded in this life. We found something better in Christ. He loves you, he cares for you. My challenge to us is that we would just spend time with him, as we feel maxed out, as we feel overworked, overdone, burnt out, parched, that we would find water for our souls. Let's pray that we will. God, we thank you for this morning. Um, I thank you, God, that uh, you speak to us, that you guide us. God, I thank you that you love us so much. And God, I just... uh, I just come before you personally, God, and just say I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Lord, for letting the distractions come, for being overwhelmed, overloaded, with stuff ultimately that doesn't bring life to my soul. God, I I pray, Lord, that you would help me to remember that I am hidden in Christ. that I am covered by the cloak of his grace, his love. And that because of that, that no scheme of hell, no power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from your hand. And that I can rest in that, and that, that ultimately that truth brings me life that there is nothing better in this world than that truth. God, help me to walk, help us to walk in that. God, I just pray for each of us as a church, Lord, for each of us as members of this church, God, that you would give us a passion and a burden for you. God, I I want us to be a body of Christ. That that it's not about church. It's not about going through the motions. It's not about action and service. It's really about you, Jesus. That Jesus is just about you and you are more. You are more for us than anything this world has to offer. God, I, I pray that our people that each of us, Lord, would know that. God, create a stirring, create a craving in our souls that desires you and nothing else. And God, I just pray that as we set our hearts on you, that as we reflect on your love and grace, Lord, that you would take away some of the cravings for the other things, the things that distract us, the information overload, the busyness of our schedules, financial burdens, 
crave for more and more stuff, whatever it is. God, I just pray that because of you and the relationship we have with you, Lord, that all that stuff would just fall away and would fall and seem to be like filthy rags, utterly meaningless. Jesus, we love you. We really do. In his name we pray. Amen.